Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I have with me Dr. Anita Kuhnley, and we had such a great conversation. I love this conversation. I love Anita. She is an associate professor of counseling at Liberty University, and she's the author of The Mr. Rogers Effect and her new book, The Four Relationship Styles. It's coming out early January. And Dr. Kuhnley has worked as head counselor of a faith-based substance abuse facility, served as a counselor at a women's community center, and directed a college counseling center. Uh, She's a popular conference speaker for the American Association of Christian Counselors and a blogger for the American Counseling Association. She is so awesome. This new book of hers on the four relationship styles, which is based on attachment styles, is pretty amazing. One of the things that she forgot to mention in the interview that I promised I would tell you in the intro is that if you pre-order the four relationship styles, how attachment theory can help you in your search for lasting love before the release date, uh, which is January 22nd, then you can receive a bundle of pre-order bonuses, including the free audiobook when that comes out and a feelings wheel and a feeling flower to help you or your loved one's emotional literacy bloom and flourish and a God attachment resource to nourish your soul. Go to dranitakunli.com and that's in the show notes as well and pre-order her book. You will get those awesome bonuses as well. So there you go. Lots of bang for your buck. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Anita Kuhnley. All right, Anita, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about your new book, The Four Relationship Styles. Relationship styles. So what are relationship styles? Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I'm I'm excited to be here with you and your audience. And relationship styles are based on uh, attachment theory and uh, the four attachment styles, which we call relationship styles in this text, just to simplify. You know, relationship styles give give us a language to communicate about our relationship dynamics, like a typology. Like if you've heard of the five love languages or Mm -hmm. the Enneagram type, sometimes people find it helpful to have Um, a type to be able to describe their situation, but they're really different from personality types or styles because um, relationship styles are based on the attachment behavioral system. And that behavioral system is only as activated when we're under stress or in conflict or, or distress. And so someone might be really bubbly and outgoing and extroverted, but then when they get stressed, they might tend to kind of maybe shut down a little, withdraw and want time to themselves. 
And so their their style of connecting when they're under stress may be different from their their general style of connecting when they're feeling supported and comfortable. And so there's been four different styles of connecting that have developed throughout the research over the years. And um, this attachment system has been said to be active from the cradle to the grave, or mm-hmm. as uh, John Coonley likes to say, from the womb to the tomb, um, <laughs> all across the lifespan. So just like we need that attachment during childhood and, you know, we also need it during adulthood. We use the the metaphor of jobs in the book okay. because just like our jobs help us to perhaps earn an income and meet financial needs, our relationship styles help us to meet our psychological, emotional, relational needs. And um, so when we think about the four styles, um, we call those the firefighter, the investigator, the security guard, and the networker. And all of them... Hmm are adaptive in some way. They all have strengths and, and also challenges mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. at the same time. Okay. So I'm, I'm curious, like from the womb to the tomb, um, <laughs> which I will now be stealing um, because my, my understanding of attachment styles is that it's really based on a, initial attachment, attachment to the in, initial caregiver. So that would not be in the womb necessarily. I mean, it could be right. But but it is the it is primary attachment in infancy, right? Right. Just those so this is not something that's innate, right? This isn't genetic. I mean, it could be epigenetic, right? It could be intergenerational trauma and all those sorts of things, yes. right? But they're not they're not innate. They are based on an attachment. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. You know. Yeah. Let's roll up our sleeves and dive into this because you know that that's that's an interesting question because. You know, one of the things that's really fascinating about the research is that when they interviewed, because I got certified in this assessment called the Adult Attachment Interview or the AAI, which was a two-year process of training uh, to be able to code these assessments. And they they did a study on them and they found, and it basically the assessment is a semi-structured interview where you, in a research study, they interviewed pregnant moms and they found that based on the way pregnant moms answered these questions about their early attachments, they could predict how their children would react a couple years later in a strange situation, uh, which was a, the name for an experiment they did in the nursery. So mm-hmm. it's interesting, right? Interesting. That, right. The way right. That they were thinking about attachment actually predicted their children's behaviors. So there is some of that intergenerational transmission that seems to happen generation to generation early on. The essence of attachment uh, is, is the movement, whether we, there's basically um, in the four styles, four different directions, right? So with the networker, they're connectors and they move towards that connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the security guard, just like a, a security guard that may be protecting a perimeter of a property saying, you know, step back, they're sort of uh, keeping people at a distance at, at arm's length. So they're turning away uh, from connection. So the way a person's caregivers tended to interact with them, whether moving towards or moving away, uh, often right. influences their movement in relationships you know, throughout the lifespan. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So determining the relationship styles, I mean, how do you assess this? Like it, it, like as a clinician and then also how can we as lay people um, obviously read your book, but (laughs) decide, figure out what our um, relationship style is. And is it really, is it correlative to attachment style? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Just some using that as a synonym is another phrase for attachment style, relationship mm-hmm. style. Right, um, sure. and yes, to totally the same, just some different terminology. There's an assessment. We worked with a statistician and a panel of attachment experts to look at some of the other assessments that have been used in the past. You know, they can, like, I definitely recommend something like the adult attachment interview, but it can be very labor intensive and expensive. And so uh, if you've got someone who's really investing a lot in therapy and they want to you know, do that, they can go through that process. But if you have someone who wants to just get an idea of what their relationship style is and read some books and talk about it with their therapist, then maybe they don't have hundreds or thousands of dollars to spend on the process, then I recommend taking this assessment. And the assessment in the text is called the REST or the Relationship Styles Test. Okay. And it's a, it's, a sh- it's a somewhat short quiz where you can answer these different questions based on how you tend to respond in relationships and identify your primary style. And then most people also have a secondary style. We have a miniature version of the quiz going live uh, next week at uh, com. So people mm-hmm. will be able to go on. And uh, if you're interested, I know the book doesn't come out till January, but if you want to find out your style right away, you can take this quiz and it'll give you a short response in terms of what your style is likely to be. Okay. that's That makes sense. That's great. And that's Anita Kunley. That's K-U-H- Spell it for everybody. Just yes. it'll be in the show notes, but you know how we are when we're just listening and we're like, oh, I'll check that out later. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's uh dot com. And then if you click on books and then click on the four relationship styles, there's a, a placeholder for the quiz. And right. that is um coming live very soon. Awesome. That's great. Good to know. Can you give an example of how one of these relationship so there are four and you've named you named them you you described two of them right so the security guard is holding people off this is the avoidant i'm assuming yes. right yes. and then the um the networker is bringing people in yes um and then what are the other two And then there's the firefighter who's walked through fires. They've been burned. They've been through some really hurtful, stressful situations, maybe loss, abuse. um, And they may feel literally like they've walked through fires. They had to, um, just like a firefighter, they had to go towards danger in order Mm -hmm. to connect. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so they they have uh, maybe some depth of character that they've developed that may be rare to come by. Um, they've also developed this capacity for long suffering and had some real strong character building experiences. They've developed resilience um, mm. and a wide range of possible responses. Like the connector and the networker and the security guard tend to have really uh, specific strategies in relationships. The firefighters tend to use a wide range of different strategies. Um because they've had to adapt quickly to lots of challenges. And then um, there's the investigator. And the investigator has often had a history of inconsistent relationships. But actually, the one thing that was consistent about their experiences uh, often with uh, relationship uh, partners was inconsistency. So mm-hmm. we developed amazing analytical skills to be able to kind of identify or anticipate what another person might be feeling and try to anticipate sort of how to keep the peace 
or what the mood might be and how to respond based on that data and information. Um, and so they can be very analytical, very attuned to people's emotional states. But just like every strength, if we overuse it, it can also become a challenge for us. And so they may at times even lose touch with their own uh, emotions or as we like to say, you know, how they like their eggs cooked, right? They may be so mm-hmm. in tune with caring for everybody else that they may lose track uh, sometimes mm-hmm. of their own needs. Yes, I, I hard relate to those last two. So that's the firefighter and and what was that last one you just described? Invest- investigator. Investigator. Yes. I would say if I if I had to guess, I am firefighter first, investigator second. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll take the quiz and report back. Can you give some examples maybe of how these relationship styles might show up um in yeah. relationships? So let's say if you're in um relationship with uh, a networker, you may find that they tend to turn towards you. Let's say your best friend is a networker, right? And maybe they tend to call you up when they're struggling, confide in you about what's going on. They share their feelings. They have no problem telling you that they are really ticked about something or that they are sad and they are, you know, they've been crying all day. They're, They're comfortable moving towards, right? And you might find yourself trusting them easily, feeling comfortable talking with them and sharing your own concerns with them. And when they tell you a story about what's going on in their relationship, it may sound very coherent. Like you can just imagine the whole situation and they tend to be, you know, very easy to talk to. But also when their relationships do go wrong, because they're they value them so much, they tend to be very devastated because they highly Mm. value relationships. So they might communicate a lot of missing, a lot of needing, and they're comfortable with with missing and and needing. On the other hand, if you're dealing with a security guard, because they've dealt with rejection a lot, and everyone deals with rejection to some extent, but for security guards, that was really a primary feature of their experience, perhaps in their their childhood uh, experiences or with their romantic relationship partners some iteration of go away, you know, go in the other room or go give me some space or uh, go outside or just some iteration of of go away. And they eventually learned from all that pushing away that no one was really coming towards them to meet their needs. So they began to eventually just naturally turn away and take solace in independence and take Mm -hmm. solace like and research has even shown that we tend to like music that aligns with our relationship, what we call in the book, relationship blueprints or relationship mm-hmm. beliefs. The security guard might like the Miley Cyrus song Flowers and take uh-huh. solace in the yeah. idea, I can buy myself flowers. I can hold right. my own and try uh-huh. to tell themselves those types of, of messages. I don't need that relationship per se. So that's going to be a little bit different, let's say, when you're chatting with your bestie who is a security guard versus your friend who is a networker. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So so what do we do? Like, so this is helpful in, you know, if if we're in relationship, a relationship that is slightly, that is strained, if we're looking at, I don't know, like, you know, should I stay or should I go? I'm thinking about whether this relationship is going to make it. We can look, we can read this book and we can figure out our own relationship style. And we can even probably figure out the style of our partner, right? It's, you can kind of ascertain, right? How does that help? Oh, well, let us count the ways, right? Um, Right. (laughs) There's a lot of ways that helps. So, 
you know, one thing to remember is that um, just like, so for, for my job, I'm a counselor and a therapist in addition to being an author. So just like any medical professional, um, a, a medical professional can only help a person with the information that they have. So if someone is not aware of their challenges or they're not aware of maybe, you know, the doctor says, well, you know, have you been feeling since you started this medication? And if the person's just sort of numbed out or not really taking time to maybe journal or connect, it's harder to give feedback and give accurate responses. And then it's harder to titrate medications and work with a person to find out what they need. Well, the same is true in relationships, right? If we don't know our needs or if we're not aware, it's harder to then share those needs with a partner and ask for those needs to be met. There's um, something we use in counseling called the interpersonal circumplex, and it's the circle, and you can kind of locate yourself on the circle. The different quadrants are friendly, submissive, friendly, dominant, and friendly, dominant pulls for friendly, submissive. There's hostile, dominant, and hostile, submissive, or what some people might call passive-aggressive. Right. 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 So hostile dominant tends to pull for hostile submissive. Aggressive, in other words, tends to pull for passive aggressive. Right. And, and uh-huh. friendly dominant tends to pull for friendly. Submissive. And when you say pull for, what does that, what do, what do you mean by that? If someone attracted to that, it's like if if someone says something unkind to you, it might bring up a desire to respond defensively. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So if if we perceive that someone says something in a hostile way and they're sort of in a dominant position, then that yeah. may kind of pull us to respond in a bit of a um, oh, aggressive way or, or what you call hostile, hostile submissive way. Got it. This can all be informed by our relationship styles, right? If we believe mm-hmm. that the self is worthy of love and others are competent and able to show that love and we have low levels of attachment anxiety and low levels of attachment avoidance, then we're going to be more likely to be able to communicate what our needs are. And we're going to be more comfortable communicating our own needs. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Wait, that's me. I know I have a lot of podcast episodes for you to get through, and it can be really, really overwhelming to try and figure out where to start or to comb through which ones might be uh, appropriate for you, whether you're trying to decide whether to stay or go, or you're already on the other side of the divorce process. Like, how do you know what to listen to? I have solved the problem for you. All you have to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist. Answer a few short questions, and I will send you a curated list of podcast episodes to best support you as you navigate these tricky waters. I'll also help you identify where you currently stand on this journey and what's ahead with resources to help you move through this process with knowledge and grace. So all you need to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and you will have your curated list of podcast episodes that will support you wherever you are in your journey. And now back to our show. One of the challenges is people can have a lot of shame around their relationship beliefs and blueprints. The problem with shame is this is lethal, right? Because not only does shame make people hide, not only does it make us hide from each other, but it makes us hide from ourselves. So right. then it can be really hard to know, you know, why we're doing what we do. We 
if we go to the investigator style, if we're an investigator, we might be very aware of what our partner's doing that that irks us or bothers us, but we may not be aware or we may be sort of <laughs> not wanting to think about our own internal responses or right. why we're so defensive or why if there's a change in the system, right? If one person responds in a different way, that can change the whole dynamic. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. knowing our relationship styles can help us to be more compassionate towards ourselves and yes. towards partners. It right. can help us to be able to sit with our needs, right? Because if you have an investigator and a security guard, chances are the security guard has called the investigator needy, right? Right, right, and, right. And the investigator might call the security guard emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. And so then that can get into a defensive uh, posturing. But if if we can imagine the security guard as the baby that was crying in the crib and the mom who was told, don't spoil your baby, just let them mm-hmm. cry it out. And mm-hmm. so that was the most pervasive experience that that child had. And that we can perceive them as an adult tending to sort of push away, then we can more easily keep our Q-tip, right? Our, our Q-tip is an acronym for quit taking it personally, right? Because chances are that person's been pushing connection away for a long time. And it's not necessarily about the investigator being needy or wanting too much closeness. It's a, more about their own discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so if we can be more aware of our styles, we can be accepting that whatever style we have that served us, that helped us survive what our past experiences were. We may be in a season where we can look at, and and that's a good news. We can look at changing our relationship styles. We're not stuck with the one that we have. We can make it better. We can become more secure, less anxious, less avoidant, and more high functioning within whatever our particular style is as we become more self-aware. Right. And that's the key, right? Especially in, in, in relationship, right? Because if you can identify, you know, if I can go, oh, I guess I'm, I have these traits, right. Um, that fall into X relationship style, then you begin to turn that, that mirror around on yourself and you start to shift, as you said, like it changes the system, like from, from a relationship systems perspective, you've got, if you are shifting who you're being in the relationship, the relationship must change. Yes. Yes. That shifts the whole dynamic. It does. And not always for the better, by the way, right. It just shifts the dynamic or it depends yes. on what you call better. Right. Right. It's like either away from or towards or towards healing or separation. Yeah. And often things do get worse before they get better. So I think that's an important point because, you know, people have to adjust to changes. And so sometimes a change can create this upheaval, but when the dust settles, it it can really lead to an improvement. But what's important to remember is not only are we shifting a relationship with a partner, but we can also improve our relationships with ourselves. If we can be more compassionate to ourselves, some of us, you know, I keep this picture of my memes nearby. You know, she was such a loving lady. She she was 91 years young when she died uh, a couple of years mm. ago. She used to call everybody honey, sweetheart, dear, sweet girl. You know, she and yeah. at one time I said memes. I love the way you use these terms of endearment with people. It just seems to bring out the tenderness in them. And she said, can I tell you something, honey? And I said, tell me something, memes. And she said, it's so I don't have to remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> So 
I was just so blessed to, to have someone like her in my life, even for the the though the time seems short, but not everybody had a memes, right? Not everybody mm-hmm. had a loving mother or father or someone who sort of taught them that they were worthy of love and that others could be counted on to respond to them in a loving way. And mm-hmm. so there's different exercises that we can do to feel more secure, to get in touch with the loving people that we did have in our lives, even if it was maybe a teacher or a friend or a coach or someone that played a different role and move towards um, greater levels of security and sort of internalize that secure, kind parent so that we can provide that for ourselves. Yes. It's hard when we turn to partners and sort of have that, that gaping hole, because it's really hard for someone else to really ever fill that. Mm -hmm. But if we can also work on our relationships with ourselves, then that can really make a difference as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was just, when you were talking about that, about finding those other places of love and connection, right? Most of us have experienced it in some capacity from somewhere. Somewhere. Um, And there's a meme going around right now. And I don't know if it's new, but I I hadn't seen it before. And it's sort of, it's cropped up in my Facebook feed a number of times. And it's a woman who's looking for the lunch lady, a lunch lady in East Orange, New Jersey in the 80s, who gave her a peanut butter sandwich every day when she didn't have any food to eat and she would sneak it to her. And she said, I just want, I want to, I want you to know that I have loved you my whole life. Oh, wow. And it's just right. It's just, uh, meanwhile, my grandparents, my grandparents lived in East Orange, New Jersey. I was like, where is this? Where is this woman? And it just reminded me that of that story, right? It may not have been your primary caregiver. So it was not implanted from the womb, right? But that doesn't mean that we haven't. And and I I like this idea that these relationship styles are flexible, that it is not a fixed thing that like, Oh, well, you should out of luck now, right? Like, <laughs> Look what the style you have, you, you can make it better. And I believe, again, as a person of faith, I believe that God offers second chances. Some people might say life offers second chances, um, but but there are other opportunities to mm-hmm. um, foster those those loving relationships. And there are models, right? There are models everywhere for this. And I think... Oh. So glad you said that. Sorry, that just reminded me. So my my previous book was called The Mr. Rogers Effect, Seven Secrets to Bring Out the Best in Yours and Others from Love and Neighbor. But did you watch Mr. Rogers growing up? Oh, of course. I was on Sesame Street too. Like I was I was locked in Zoom, Electric Company. I'm like a child of the 70s, like full on, all of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, So, you know, Mr. Rogers he was, I mean, so many people have told me since, you know, that book's released, oh, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted Mr. Rogers to be my dad, or I loved Mr. Rogers. I grew up with Mr. Rogers. So many people said, you know, Mr. Rogers raised me. Um, And this was someone that was on television. But one of the things that happened to Mr. Rogers when he was growing up is he was bullied. He was sick a lot as a child. So he spent a lot of time alone in his room. And he had to, he, he used puppets to entertain himself. He had a very sweet relationship with his grandpa, his grandpa McFeely, who he named his speedy delivery McFeely. guy. Yeah, he, grandpa, did. he did. <laughs> that's yeah. how that, that's that strange name, right? Um, yeah. It wasn't strange to him because that was his grandpa's name. But yeah. um, he uh, 
his grandpa used to tell him these healing words every week when he saw him and he would say, Freddie, you've made this day a special day just by your being you. There's no one else in the whole world like you. And I like you just the way you are. And then he took those words and he said them in nearly every episode of his program across the U.S. and Canada to let them know I like you just the way you are. And, and it was such a healing message. And now, even though he died almost 20 years ago, we're still, they're still making movies about him. They had the Tom mm-hmm. Hanks movie. He's still nourishing souls and, and having such an impact. So even if some people have a television figure, you know, that served to give them a sense of, of what that sort of loving nature and, and soul nourishing type of connection could be like. And people were really interestingly able to receive that through the screen long before we had Zoom uh, or right. Microsoft Teams or these technologies we're so comfortable with today. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that, right? He said, look for the helpers. You know, looking at your own life, I'm like, by the way, nobody, I don't share the recordings of the videos of this, but but Anita has behind her, her Mr. Rogers Effect book, along with her other books, but she, she also has a trolley. Yes. <laughs> you have Mr. Rogers trolley. I love it. That, you know, we can look for the helpers, we can look for the models, um, even if we didn't have them, right? We can look for the lunch lady who showed unconditional love and, you know, broke rules to to nourish and support you. We can find the, you know, the, the man on the television set telling you that you're special. And, you know, we have choices. Yes. And I think it's so, that's just so, so powerful. We were talking about these, you know, relationship styles not being fixed, right? And that they can be improved. How do you help people and how do you recommend that they start to shift these? Besides, as we were talking about looking for the helpers, looking for the, you know, the nuggets of love somewhere (laughs) in your life. How do you, how do you help people move towards more secure um, attachment? Yeah. The the first step is um, that awareness, right? That you have Mm -hmm. a relationship style, you have an attachment style, and then identifying what it is. So Mm -hmm. um, typically, you know, like if I'm working with someone in counseling, we start with the test, the relationship styles test. Mm -hmm. So they can take the mini quiz, they can take the full length test, people will be able to access it now in the book. And they can identify, this is what my style is. And then, you know, the pathway to increased security looks a little different for each style. If someone was a security guard, their primary experience, one of one of their primary features of their interpersonal experiences was rejection um, right. and pushing away. So they have learned to sort of push away themselves before they get pushed away to beat beat mm-hmm. others to the punch, so to speak. And it's not that they don't want relationships, although it might might seem like that at times. Right. But in the strange situation experiments where they looked at children's responses, the, the, the studies called the strange situation were done by John Bowlby, who's considered the father of attachment, mm-hmm. and his research partner, Mary Ainsworth, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. at the Tavistock Clinic in London. And they what they did was they had mothers bring their Uh, babies into this nursery. And then they paid attention to how the children acted with the mother, but they paid attention to what the children did when the mother left, how they dealt with that separation, and then even closer attention to reunion behavior. How did they behave when mom came back? And that's where they identified the first three styles. And then Mary Main identified the fourth style years later through the, the adult attachment interview and found that 
So for example, the the child who had the security guard style or a more dismissing avoidance style that was kind of pushing away, keeping the caregiver at arm's length, when the parent left the room, if let's say if they were playing with blocks, they did not stop, cry, crawl after that caregiver like a networker or an investigator might have done. They just simply showed what they called muted play. They slowed mm-hmm. down with playing with their blocks. Mm-hmm. But when that caregiver came back, they speeded right back up. But they mm-hmm. didn't turn towards or go connect. Whereas the networker might have been crawling after that parent, screaming, crying, even <laughs> kind of banging the door, <laughs> trying to maintain that connection with mm-hmm. full confidence that their efforts were going to solicit the connection with the caregiver. But then when the caregiver came back, they would tend to drop what they're doing, go right back to that caregiver and embrace and be be quickly calmed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the investigator would go back and have this kind of push-pull. They would go back, but then they would be sort of frustrated with their caregiver for leaving them. Mm-hmm. And it would be harder for them to calm down because of more inconsistency. They didn't know, is that caregiver going to leave again? Are they going to, you know, um, right. so it was harder for them to get regulated. So depending on what our tendencies are, the path towards greater security looks different. So for the security guard, and that's why there's sort of a chapter devoted to each one with some interventions, but like for the security guard, we have to work on increasing comfort with emotion because the way we do relationships is the way we do emotion, right? Our Mm -hmm. relationship style is our style of connecting emotionally as well. And and research has shown this in, in the academic literature. We said, Attachment is emotion regulation, right? So if you're right, uh, right. a worker mm-hmm. and you move towards connection, then you tend to move towards sharing your deep emotions, emotional intimacy and connection. If you're a security guard and you move away from relationship, you tend to minimize emotion and be less comfortable with your own feelings and feelings of others, uh, perhaps be more cognitive and, and less emotional altogether. So your your primary focus is to then de-escalate and, and minimize that emotion as a security guard. So to work on increased comfort with closeness and decreased avoidance, we'd also have to work on increased comfort with emotions with the security guard as the challenge is, even though they might uh, keep themselves safe from relational pain, they also, the wall that that separates them from pain separates them from the pleasure of deeper intimacy as well, emotional intimacy and, and, and other forms of intimacy. And so they're, they're not experiencing as much connection. So working on that kind of pattern is going to be a little bit different, uh, but and it's important mm-hmm. to remember that served them for, for the environment they grew up right. in. That was right. Adaptive, right. but it may just be, be time for a shift. So as they shift towards increased security and increased levels of intimacy with their current partner, we may begin working on increasing that window of tolerance to be able to tolerate more emotion, more closeness to relationship, mm-hmm. and kind of lessening those those boundaries. Whereas for the investigator, it's going to look a little different, the work we do. Investigators, there may be uh, more time spent doing things like journaling to increase what we call autobiographical competence or the person's capacity to sort of tell their relationship story Mm -hmm. and to come to terms with experiences they've had. When you listen to an investigator tell their story, you may tend to hear um, some exaggerative speech at times. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. They have often they've dealt with so much inconsistency that uh, they may have some frustration or some fear that can linger, and there can be some preoccupation with that. And so they have masterful analytical skills, and they're very in tune with other people's emotions. But when it comes to kind of taking care of themselves and and sitting with their own, that can be more uncomfortable. So we're going to work on that in a, in a different way, right? Then. It's they're comfortable with emotion, right? Right, uh, right, right. They're aware of emotions, but they may not be as comfortable nurturing or taking care of their own emotions. Um, right. So allowing right. themselves more space. So, yeah, there's a lot of different strategies we, we can use. All of which are in your book, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. Well, many of them, right? <laughs> we right. Could, yeah. Multiple volumes, right? About you know each each style. Right. Um, so you still could have its own vo- own book, right? right? I mean, yeah, it's so in depth. It's so it's so fascinating. I'm such a geek for this stuff. You know, attachment theory is fairly new in the world of relationship science, right? And so we're all leaning into this and learning about it, and you know, writing you writing a book about it in a in a in a way in a different way to digest it, right? And How do you see this, the future of relationship science, you know, the impact that it's going to have, the more these conversations keep happening and the more that we, this kind of relationship science and these conversations just become part of who we are now, Mm -hmm. right? How do you see what, what that will give us as a society, as, as individuals culturally? You know, I think there's some strengths and challenges that come with that and some important changes that need to happen. So, for example, I think one of the strengths is that, you know, people can tend to become more self-aware as they think about as we have more access to the Internet and um, people sharing information and learn more about a wide range of topics such as relationship styles people can become more aware and that can be helpful. It's the challenges you know, when I told you about uh, like Dr. John Bowlby, who is the father of attachment, and he worked with Mary Ainsworth, and then they worked with Mary Main, who was their student, and Bob Marvin. And then I trained under Bob Marvin and Mary Main. So I, I think of the developer yeah. of the theory as my uh, sort of academic grandfather, right? Right, right, right. And I went through all yeah. this training. But then you might also have some people that have maybe not gone through as much training, but are sharing perhaps out of their experiences uh, not as much out of the research. So sometimes um, there can be, that can be good, well-intentioned, but there can be some misinformation. Sure. So, okay. You know, you have to be careful where you get your information and you want to make sure that it's it's informed by research. And and as you take it in, you can always go in and verify and look up, look up information and look up that research. So that's sort of the strength is more access to information and more possible self-awareness, but also the challenge is perhaps a misinformation. An important change I think that needs to happen as we go forward is that, you know, in counseling and, and psychology, I think in these fields we've been guilty of this is is pathologizing, right? Because yeah, right. people mm-hmm. like counsel, if someone goes to therapy and they want to use their insurance, then you know, the therapist has to give a diagnosis in order to get insurance to cover that. Well, but the thing to remember is like, it's not always helpful to pathologize things, right? Because like I said, every relationship style has tremendous strengths. It serves, they serve us, help us adapt to our environment. We develop specific strengths and become who we are based on those experiences. And those strengths can, if we embrace them, 
they can really help us to thrive and, and make a difference in the world, just like Mr. Rogers did. I believe that he transformed from uh, Fred McFeely uh, of Latrobe, Pennsylvania to Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers neighborhood that day that he was bullied and that he said that, you know, he did, he did not like to see people be demeaned. He knew what that felt like and he wanted to do everything he could to help children and make sure that that children felt safe and that they knew how to deal with the feelings of sadness or anger that would come up in those situations. So if we embrace those experiences, that can actually help us become who we were meant to be in some way. So one of the things that I tried to be very intentional and careful about in the four relationship styles is to look at a strength-based approach for every style. And I think that's one thing that's maybe a little unique um, with some of the other approaches to attachment might pathologize some of the styles mm-hmm. and types. And, you know, um, I, I think it helps us to have a, a more compassionate understanding of ourselves and others that we deal with as well. Yeah. I, I will say that as you were describing earlier in our conversation, as you were describing the um, relationship styles, I was I was struck by how you were starting with these strengths and how we're someone who might be considered anxious is actually really good at connecting and really intimate and like all of these other things first rather than like oh you're anxious <laughs> you know and you right. and you're you know scared of intimacy and all, like all of the things right <laughs> i was sort of struck by that as you were talking and so i actually really appreciate that uh, in your approach a lot i I appreciate you you observing that because that I think that is essential. The um, and, you know, we even talk about with training counselors. There's that anxiety curve, right? Anxiety can actually help you, can help you prepare. It can motivate you. It can really serve us very well. But any strength that we have, if we overuse, can create challenges for us. So I think you know that goes back to your question about you know how does it help us to know our attachment style? Well, knowing hey if we tend to be an investigator and have some anxiety that makes us really analyze and look for these clues and then get preoccupied with what we're finding, you know, that can help us to be aware in tune with others' emotions to be perceptive. But if it gets, if it goes unchecked, it can also lead to maybe some challenges, right? And then we can be more aware of what they are and kind of be able to monitor where we are in any given moment and, and try to titrate that. I love all of this. This is so great. Um, so Anita, where can everyone find you and find the book? Um, I'm hoping that you're going to get a lot of pre-orders out of this conversation. <laughs> I know I'm going to go pre-order it. So oh, there yeah. you have it. You got one. Oh, thank um, you so much. You can find out more at www.dranitakunli.com. If you click on books and the four relationship styles, if there's information there. You can also go to Amazon. The four relationship styles, how attachment theory can help you in your search for lasting love is the full title. I think there may be some other books with similar titles. So you want to mm-hmm. make sure the subtitle is how attachment theory can help you in your in your search for lasting love. But yeah, I'd love to connect with you, with with uh, your listeners. I'm on Instagram at the period empathetic period counselor. All right, everybody go give Anita a follow and uh, pre-order this book. I'm going to do that as soon as we get off the phone. And Dr. Anita Kunley, it was just such a pleasure to talk to you about this stuff. I love your approach and your energy and your, um, yeah, your take on it all. I think it's really great.
Uh, I've loved talking with you too, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. And I think this gives people hopefully lots of concepts to contemplate until the next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.